Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the privilege that we have to know the Father because we've seen the Son. Because Jesus, you have revealed the glory of the Godhead to us. As you put on flesh, as you walked the the roads that we walk, as you endured the trials that we endure in many ways, except for those caused by our own sin. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross to die and you rose again in glory such that we might have hope this morning, such that we might live. God, thank you for using our children to lead us in worship today. Thank you for the joy and the privilege of seeing through the, the lens of a child. And Jesus, we're reminded that you said, suffer the children to come unto me. Don't deny them, bring them here. Help us, Lord, to come to you today as children, innocent, willing to receive what you have for us, willing to eat from your hand. God, thank you that your heart, I'm convinced, is to reveal yourself. And so we pray toward that end. Have your way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated, friends. Good morning. What a great time we've had this morning. Thank you so much, uh, families. you got some great kids. That's, that's awesome. That's so special uh, to see all these kiddos up here. And you grandparents, I know you're proud too. I just want to echo my thanks to our, our kids' ministry volunteers and staff. Boy, we've had a great, a great season uh, here in ministry. I'm so grateful uh, for all of you. And um, you'll see why I'm doing this here in a little bit. But, um, but friends, what, what a joy. And, and I also want to just say thanks to Pastor Nate and the worship arts team for leading uh, and facilitating. I know Ann Warren was involved in, in that as well. And so can we just give one more round of applause for everybody that was involved? Uh, praise God. Praise God. Well, friends, uh, if you would, please turn in your copy of Scripture to Psalm chapter 126. Uh, that's where we're going to be for the, the bulk of our time, the rest of our time anyway, uh, this morning. Uh, Psalm 126, if you happen to need a copy of Scripture, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you one, and we'd love to give that to you as a gift. Um, uh, we're convinced the Word of God changes lives. You know, ha- having a kid's Christmas program is really a, a special tradition around here. It's predated me. I, I'm really, I always look forward to this Sunday. It's a joyous occasion. And, and it reminds me that a lot of us have a lot of different traditions in our families. Anybody keep some Christmas traditions around here? Right? It's just one of you. That's awesome. You're a bunch of Scrooges, right? No, no, no. Uh, of course, we have a lot of Christmas traditions. Uh, one of the traditions in my family growing up, and this actually predated my birth, was playing cards. Anybody play cards at Christmas? Okay, I, I really enjoyed playing cards. And in our family, the game of choice is actually the best game there is. Um, it's the most sophisticated, maybe the hardest to learn. Um, and this is objective truth here, okay, guys? I'm preaching from a pulpit. Uh, but it's Pinochle. Anybody play Pinochle? Right? I, good, good, good. I really enjoy Pinochle. And I'll tell you, um, Pinochle's a, a fun game. Now, some of you are saying, Andy, are you really comparing the kids' Christmas program to Pinochle? And, and I would say, well, you got a point there, but let me explain to you why Pinochle is, is so fun for me. See, my Grandma Ruth taught me to play Pinochle. Uh, Grandma Ruth was a special lady. And see, I, when I played Pinochle with Grandma Ruth, I, I had a lot of fun. 
and I knew I was in the right place. I was safe with Grandma Ruth. And Grandma uh, taught all the grandkids, everybody who wanted to learn, not quite everybody wanted to, but just about in our family, she taught all of us how to play. She taught the rules. Uh, she taught the etiquette. And she, in many ways, taught us how to hang out with adults in meaningful ways. And it was really, really fun. Uh, one of the cool things about being... Uh, being uh, inaugurated into the Pinochle family was that you got to move up from the basement. In Grandma's house, basement had shag carpet. It had one of those old bars that nobody ever used. It was kind of dusty, but there were a lot of toys down there for the little kids. But, but when you graduated, uh, when you learned how to play Pinochle, you got to move up to the living room. To, to the land of card tables and fold-out chairs and, and treats galore. It was incredible. And so you wanted to learn how to play uh, Pinochle. And, and I'll tell you, every time that I open a box of Pinochle cards, every time I hear the snap of the deck, you know, shuffling, and uh, it took me a long time to actually practice in Grandma's basement to learn how to do that, that little bridge thing. Some of you can do it better. Uh, but it took me a long time, and there, as soon as I brag about it, then I can't do it, right? Um, it took me a long time to learn that. But every time I hear the snap of the cards, every time I pull them out of a box, and you kind of smell the cards, people's hands have been on them, you know, and, and especially a good, well-worn uh, hand. Sometimes there's perfume or p- perhaps other things, who knows? Uh, but but I, I think about my Grandma Ruth. And Grandma was special to me because not only did she make things a lot of fun, not only was she a great cook and a great baker, you know, she had buns and donuts and all these things, but, but Grandma really taught me what it was to be loved by Jesus. She would often say to me, guess what? And if, if she kept, caught me unaware, I would say, I don't know what. And she'd say, I love you. <laughs> and she'd just throw it in there like that. Grandma was really a special lady. She taught me the love of Jesus. And, and she prayed for me and my, my siblings and my cousins up until she died several years ago. I'm convinced of it. And so Pinochle is, is a meaningful tradition for me. I, I wonder today, uh, what traditions do you have? Okay. Uh, what traditions do you come with? And, and actually, I want us to do something kind of outside the box today. This is why I've got this, this computer sitting here. I want us to share our traditions here this morning. I want you to share uh, what traditions are meaningful to you. And so uh, we've got a number up on the screen there. It's 715-982-8280. I promise this isn't a televangelist thing. It's not a, an infomercial. But what, what I want you to do is text me those traditions that are meaningful to you. We got a whole bunch of them first hour. So take out your phone. This is okay in church. Take out your phone. Come on, you have them. I know you do. They're right there in your fingertips. Don't lie to me. All right. And and pull them out and and send me a text and let me know uh, what traditions you enjoy. And I'm going to read some of them off. Now, I promise I'm not going to use your name. If you start making fun of me as a Vikings fan, then I might. All bets are off. All right, but, but I want to know, uh, how do you uh, celebrate Christmas? What traditions do you have? All right, I see him coming in here. And so somebody uh, makes hand-kneaded fudge on a marble slab with friends. That's really cool. I, I would like to see that. That sounds great. Another person plays nerds, okay? Anybody play nerds around here? That's another lesser card game than Pinochle, but it's fun, I'm sure. Uh, so good. Uh, somebody waits on the uh, waits on the stairs, even as adults. You wait for, like, who are you waiting for? I'm not exactly sure. Send me another one. I'd love to know. Another person uh, wears Christmas PJs and has hot chocolate, and, and they put up the Christmas tree. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, somebody else, uh, ooh, krumkaka. Now you're singing my song, right? Grandma made krumkaka. I'm sure yours is really good, uh, too. Krumkaka is a Norwegian pastry. Uh, somebody looks at family picture books. That's a cool thing to do. Another person plays board games. Um, somebody went opening presents. Man, they're coming in fast. This is awesome. Um, Somebody went opening presents. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. 
I can't, I, they're, they're going faster than I'm, I'm able to keep up with. Uh, waiting on stairs, picture books. Some people go around the table and tell each other how much they mean to us. That's really cool. Uh, that's a great tradition. Uh, one at a time, and then, and then eat cinnamon rolls. That's also singing my song. Uh, uh, somebody eats tons of food. Somebody plays bingos. Bingo, and they have a little bit of a humility issue. They say they always win, so I guess that's kind of like me and Pinochle, right? <laughs> I love it. Uh, we, we got a new ornament to put on the, the tree each year. Another person gets together at grandpa's to decorate the tree. Another person makes lefsa and they eat it too. Perfect. Um, another person enjoys chili. Somebody, okay, here it is, puts pictures at the top of the spares, stairs before coming down to gifts. Uh, and, and dad's camera never worked right. That was a tradition. It took forever. All right. I love it. Uh, schnitzel. Mm, that sounds really good. Um, eating, especially grandma's dumplings. Somebody plays solitaire uh, with everyone. Somebody makes, uh, I can't pronounce the word, Abel Skeever. Is that a Wisconsin thing, Abel Skeever. Uh, sounds great, saying Christmas parts to family. Um, sits around and drinks coffee. Man, there's a lot of them here. I'm going to stop here pretty soon. Reads a Christmas story together. Uh, great grandma's steamed pudding. Sounds great. Opening stockings, uh, stuffers on Christmas Eve. Okay, lots of cool traditions, right? Thank you for participating in that, by the way. That's really fun. We're going to maybe do more of that another time. But um, yeah, you, you have, we know the value of traditions. We know the richness of rhythms that help remind us of important things and, and connect us to our heritage. Now, it won't surprise you, I'm sure, that the people of God throughout history have always had traditions that helped connect them to the things of God. And that actually ties in with our text for today. See, uh, the people of God for, for many centuries celebrated what we call Psalms of Ascent, okay? Psalms of Ascent. And our passage today is Psalm 126, and it happens to be one of the 15 Psalms of Ascent in the Psalter. Okay, uh, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are these Psalms of Ascent. And, and these Psalms were traditionally recited by the Hebrew people as they made their way up to Jerusalem, particularly during three specific times of the year, these three pilgrimage feasts that the Old Testament law prescribed. We, we actually learned a lot about the feasts when we studied the book of John here this last year. And so the, the people would, would go up to Jerusalem, and on their way, they would sing these psalms of ascent. They were actually songs. We don't have the music for them. It'd be really cool if we did. Uh, we don't, but we do have the lyrics. And so they would sing. They would recite these psalms in a way that reminded them of God's faithfulness to them throughout their history. Now, the content of the Psalms is actually set in the same time period as the Psalm that we studied last week. They're, they're post-exilic. We, we, we know that by the content. We know that by their, their location in the Psalter. And, and, and we understand that it's very likely this grouping of Psalms was put together. Maybe some of them were written a little bit earlier, but they were grouped into this Song of Ascents during this post-exilic time when the people of God, the people of Judah, returned from their captivity in Babylon. Babylon after 70 years of exile. And so as the people would travel up from the desert or from Galilee or from the, the locations spread throughout the diaspora in the Middle East, they would sing and they would recite these songs, these psalms of ascent. And it was a joyous occasion. God had been faithful to them. God had promised to deliver them from their judgment after 70 years. And here God had done just that. It was an incredibly meaningful tradition for the people of God. Now, once they got to Jerusalem, uh, tradition also says that they would ascend 15 steps to go up into the temple, these, these southern steps in the, the, the temple mount. And, and the common people would, would come through these steps, including Jesus, and go into the temple for their worship. 
And again, as they, they climbed these steps, they would stand on one step after the other, and on the first step, they would recite Psalm 20, 120. On the second step, they would recite Psalm 121. And then on the third step, they would recite Psalm 122, and then Psalm 123, and then Psalm 124. And some of you are worried I'm going to step onto the piano. I'm not going to do that, all right? But they would go through all of the psalms, and they would recite these as an act of worship to the Lord. <laughs> How'd you like it if we had 15 steps out there, and before you came to Cornerstone, you had to recite 15 psalms before you got in the door? <laughs> Probably not a great growth strategy for a church, right? <laughs> but here's the point. See, in similar fashion to, to Pinochle, reminding me of my grandma, reminding me of the, the faith heritage of my family. So these Psalms of Ascent reminded the Hebrew people of God's love and his faithfulness to them throughout their history. It was a rich tradition. Now, what they sing about? Well, that's where the text comes in for today. And so uh, turn your attention here with me to Psalm chapter 126. And I'm going to read the first verse here in just a moment. But, but notice, as we begin the discussion, we begin actually in a similar space as where we've been the last couple of weeks. We begin by recalling the faithfulness of God. Look at this, Psalm 126, verse 1. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We were like those who dream. What, what has God done for the Hebrew people? He, he's restored their fortunes. He's restored their fortunes, not, not like restoring their bank account if it gets empty, but, but like their way of life. It means their conditions that were once blighted by their Babylonian captivity are now renewed in, in, in prosperity and peace back in the promised land and in, in the homeland. There was a lot to sing about. And friends, in this Advent season where we've acknowledged the, the desperation and despair that often is accompanied in, uh, that, that often accompanies this sin-stained life in which we now exist, here we are remembering God's faithfulness. God has brought the people back from captivity when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And I wonder, how, how has God brought you back from captivity? <laughs> you ever been there? You ever been in a place of, of struggle and of despair and of disappointment? How's God been faithful to you in your past? Think about that here today. And I, and I love the imagery. See, the psalmist says, we were like those who dream. We were like those who dream. What's that like? Well, in 538 BC, some 70 years after the exile of the people of God, Persia takes power from Babylon, and, and there's this king, his name is Cyrus, and he sends the people, by issue of decree, this famous Cyrus decree, sends the people back to the promised land. And you can imagine these people, they've been in this location for 70 years, and it was a tough road. And if, if they're at all like me, and I'd imagine they were, they may have had moments of struggle. <laughs> they may have wondered, God, are you really going to follow through on your promise? Are you really going to deliver us in the way that you said you would? It felt like a distant dream to them. And yet here they were. They're making their way up to Jerusalem, and, and, and the dream is becoming a reality. I, I can only imagine how, the, how bewil these bewildered children of the exiles who'd heard the stories about the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. They'd, they'd heard about the Davidic dynasty and the glory of their King David. They'd, they'd known about the, the glory and the grandeur of Solomon's temple and all the gold and all the beauty and all the pageantry. But all their experience had been is Babylonian. And here, finally, what once felt like a distant dream now becomes a reality. They're walking in and they're, wow, this is like the dream. It's incredible. They're back in the promised land. 
And the next verse appropriately follows. It says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. (laughs) Friends, the people of God were full of joy as they walked back into Israel. It was this amazing moment. They were were ecstatic. They were joy-filled. They they were constantly bursting with spontaneous laughter. (laughs) You ever been a part of something really awesome and all you can do is laugh? I feel like uh, those moments where I've I've experienced joy in hunting with my friends, maybe uh, harvesting a moose, thinking, wow, that's awesome. I can't believe it happened that way. And and you just start bursting out. I'd imagine 10, 20, 50 fold, the people of God, they're bursting out laughing, enjoying what God has provided, enjoying the reality of God's faithful bounty. God had delivered them completely from the hand of the Babylonians. And church, it's worth pausing for a moment and understanding. This is what God does. This is what God is capable of. This is how he works. The great Charles Spurgeon once said, let our hearts gratefully remember the former loving kindnesses of the Lord. We were sadly low. We were sorely distressed and completely past hope. But when Jehovah appeared, he did not merely lift us out of despondency. He raised us into wondering happiness. That the Lord who alone turns our captivity does nothing by halves. Those whom he saves from hell, he brings to heaven. He turns exile into ecstasy and banishment into bliss. Friends, how how has the Lord filled your mouth with laughter? What's the Lord done to bring you joy? What's he done in your life? Throughout this Advent season, we've been lighting a candle for each Sunday. We've been lighting a candle reminding us of God's love. We've been lighting a candle reminding us of the peace that we have in Christ. We've been reminded of the hope that's found in Jesus. And all these things have pointed forward to the coming of the Savior who first came at Christmas, but who promises again to return to finish the job. Praise God. And so today, we we light this last candle on our Advent wreath before Christmas Eve, and we celebrate the joy we have in the Lord. We celebrate what God has done for his people. The people were full of joy at the deliverance of God. And then the psalm continues. It says this, it says, And they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Church, notice how the nations recognize God's greatness. That God has done great things for his people. It was obvious to them. God's God's reputation is made famous by his works. And the nations recognize, look, their God is working on their behalf. Their God is for them. There's no other explanation for their return from Babylon. The Lord has done great things for them. And friends, this is more than just a public perception. See, it's, it's the people's reality. They agree. What's true about God's reputation among the nations is also true in their own experience. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We're glad. Thank you, God. This is good. And church, in similar fashion, I... I want to take just a few moments here as a congregation to recognize how the Lord has done great things for us. Because as I I look out on our congregation, I'm convinced we can give testimony to God's faithfulness. We 
we can proclaim the same thing. Yeah, God has done great things for us. And it's true. We've been in a season of grief, many of us here at Cornerstone, in the last several months. And it's been a tough road. It, it remained a tough road for the people of God even after, even after the, their deliverance from Babylon. But it doesn't mean we can't give praise. And so again, I want you to grab your phones. And this time, I want you to use that same number. Again, 962-8280. And once again, text me two, one or two sentences. But this time, recognize what God has done. How you've seen God at work in, in your life. And see, part of the process of moving through Advent, through this season of waiting on Jesus, is recalling our restored fortunes in Christ. It's recalling the joy that we have in Him. It's remembering the great things that God has done for us. And so, so text them to me. And again, I'm not going to use your name, I promise. But what I do want to do is help us to celebrate together the great things that the Lord has done. And so would you do that? Would you text them to me? I got the, got the computer up here, and I'm seeing it. And we're going to read this. Thank you so much. One of you said, God's given us children after years of infertility. Praise God. Another one said, God's brought our daughter to sobriety. That's, those are great things. Another one said, God saved me. <laughs> Praise God. I love that lyric in, in Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> Salvation is a miracle, friends. Thank you. God's provided me with the most incredible, loving family. Praise God. Another one says, God's steadfast, unearned favor. Amen. How kind is our God. Another one said, God has protected my family. Another one said, God has led me to my husband. Another one said, God has called us to him. He saved us. Praise God. Amen. Another one said, we never want for anything. Thank you, Lord. Another one said, granting peace within the storms, providing solutions beyond, beyond what we could have ever imagined in this perfect time. <laughs> I love that. Another one said, God saved my brother. Thank you, Lord. It's amazing. Another one said he brings memories to mind that fill my heart and a new life in a grandson after losing a son in 2006. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Another one said he's given me a hunger for his word and, and, and more peace with everything. Another one said God's used the, the death of our students' friends to bring spiritual life to other students. Friends, we have a God who brings death to life. Another one says, we're thankful for our move to Marshfield into this church. Hallelujah. Another one, God has always been faithful with me. He's always been loving me. Praise God. Another one, God has provided our church uh, with, with staff and leadership that loves the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Another one, God's brought our family to this church. Thank you, Lord. God reminds me of my salvation, so rich and free. Hallelujah. Another one, salvation and faith in Christ. Another one, God has been faithful in my unfaithfulness, gracious to me. Hallelujah. Another one, God covered me with his grace all year long. Another one, faithfulness in our children's marriages. Hallelujah. Another one, God has given us a home and a wonderful church family. Praise God. Friends, thank you. I can't tell you how much joy that brings me to hear you call out the glory of God. Friends, we have a good God. He's done great things. And maybe you're not one that's, that texted in because you're not seeing it. 
Friends, find hope in the testimony of your brothers and sisters here. God's working. We're going to talk more about you or with you if you're struggling in a moment. But before we do that, we need to pause and we need to worship. We need to say thank you to our God who has done great things. And so I've asked Nate if he'd lead us in a song here this morning. Yeah, why don't you all stand and let's give God glory for the great things that he's done. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded a life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all as we wrap up here, I want you to notice the last verses in this song. See, in this season of Advent, of, of waiting for the coming of Christ, we, we've got to acknowledge, as I mentioned a moment ago, for some, joy is hard to come by these days. That, that's true. That, that's real. Some of us are still struggling. And so as the people of God sat in the promised land without the glory of Solomon's temple, as they sat in Jerusalem knowing that they were vulnerable because the walls that, that David and Solomon had worked so well to fortify were no longer in existence. Perhaps as some in the first century uh, dwelt in Jerusalem and, and saw the predominance, predominance of Roman soldiers who reminded them of the oppression that they faced. In the midst of all of the, the turmoil, they, they cried out. They sang the Psalms of Ascent not only recalling God's faithfulness, but also asking for God's deliverance. Yes, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion, and he's done it completely in the past, but the need for restoration again remains. And so the psalmist cries out once again in verse 4. He says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. God, you've done it before. Do it again, and do it quickly. We need you. 
And see, note, note the request here. He says, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. And, and for many of us, that might sound kind of obscure. And yet, when we understand the Negev is the desert in the southern part of Judea. And, and in the Negev, every year, about once a year, for a small stretch of time, the rainy season would come. See, the Negev was a desert. It was dry and it was barren. But when the rainy season came, an inch of rain or less could flood whole valleys with water flowing down from the mountaintops. And what once was barren and dry in one moment now becomes full of nourishment, full of, of, of everything needed. And friends, the people of God are asking God to deliver them quickly, to deliver them suddenly, like, like the streams would fill the, the desert. And James Montgomery Boyce captures this so well when he says their, their deliverance was entirely of God. For only God could bring about the sudden return of a formerly exiled people. No nation carried into exile has ever returned to reconstitute itself as Israel did. This event was so evidently of God that even the Gentiles knew it, verse 2. And if God did it once, He could do it again. He could restore the former fortunes and joy. Church, what God has done in the past is what God can do again. Only he's way too creative to do the same thing twice. When we pray to God, we can expect his sudden intervention. We can expect God to intervene. God's capable of flooding the wadis, flooding the valleys with nourishment, with everything needed. And in faith, we ask him to do that. And yet, friends, there's another dynamic in play, at play here in this psalm. See, God's response to our asking is sometimes very sudden. But more often than not, it comes to us much more slowly. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping and bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, with bringing his sheaves with him. And friends, let's be honest here. It's often the case that shouts of joy are preceded by long stretches of tears, of weeping, of crying out to God. The exiles were in Babylon for 70 years. That's a long time. Some of you have lived more than 70 years. And you can think back to your childhood. Can you imagine being in captivity that whole time. It was 400 years between the last word of the prophets before the coming of the Messiah. Friends, there was a longing in Israel for God to intervene, and there were a lot of tears in the process. Those tears remain today in many ways. And friend, if you're weeping today, if you're sowing seeds of, of tears rather than reaping the sheaves of joy, I want you to know two things. First, it's okay. I'm sorry that, that you're weeping. I'm sorry for your tears, but, but it's okay to have them. Seasons of weeping are, are part of the deal. We live in a tough world, and, and you don't have to pretend around here. You don't. You don't have to pretend like you have joy when you don't. You have permission to be in process there. It's okay. But second, church, I want you to know that in the Christian life, in the hands of God and, and with God's promise, that which is sown in tears is that which is reaped 
with a harvest of joy. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus secured in his incarnation. Again, verse 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Can you imagine a big armful of wheat and barley and whatever else they grew in the Middle East? Here this big stack of joy comes with you. That which starts as a little seed, that which is planted with tears, germinating and, and growing up and bearing fruit, comes back in sheaves and harvest of joy, friends. And that is secure. That is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. And see, it's because of Christ that we have hope and confidence. Friends, Jesus came at Christmas to enter into our tears. In John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept over Lazarus and his death. Jesus wept over the sorrow that the sisters experienced. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He cried out to God for these people that constantly rejected him. Hebrews 4, 15 says that God, that Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness. He's walked this road. He's, he's, he's understood our tears. And friends, Jesus knows your suffering. He, he does. That's why he died for you. That's why he bore your sin at Calvary. He knows firsthand the trail of tears upon which he walked. And yet he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in those tears. He rose again. The tears of sin and darkness give way to the joy and the glory of the resurrection. Are you suffering tears today? Know this, the the God who restored the fortunes of Israel is the God who longs to work on your behalf. And he can do it suddenly. He can. You can repent of your sin and cast your belief on Jesus today and that heart of stone that Ezekiel talks about will turn to a heart of flesh in a moment. Upon that moment of belief, of confessing your sin, of acknowledging you can't save yourself, of saying to Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. I repent. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to come under your love. I want to come under your salvation. I want to come under your authority. And I cast myself at your feet saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me. I receive the gift of grace made available only through you. Have your way. And if you would but cast yourself at Jesus' feet in that way, He would move in and forgive you just like that. And what's dead spiritually comes to life. He'll do that if you let him. Doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Doesn't mean all your problems immediately go away. And yet your biggest problem, that which separates you from God, is eliminated because Jesus is the one bringing you to him. That said, many of us have already put our faith and trust in Jesus. We've invited him to to change our heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And so for us, even though he may deliver us from our tears in a moment, more likely it's going to be a slow process through, through seeds of weeping. Friends, in Jesus, those those seeds become planted and they germinate and eventually they become that great harvest of joy that goes beyond our expectation. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us, friends. And this happens in part today in this life. God is faithful for now. 
God's faithful for the present. But remember what Jesus said. You're going to have trouble sometimes. It's going to be tough. And so though he's faithful for the present, he's also faithful for the future. And what remains sorrow and struggle ultimately in his hands gets rectified when the God who put on flesh and still dons it in heaven will return. And when he sits on the throne in in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, all of our tears give way to a joy that will last for eternity. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the confidence we have. How can, how you, you say, Andy, how can you be sure? I can say because Jesus got up out of the grave. Because Jesus lives. I'm, I, will, I will give my life for that reality, friends. Trust him. And so church, let, let's fix our imaginations on the joy of knowing Jesus, on the joy of this Christmas season. We have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Jesus has come to change our tears to shouts of joy. And so we got to keep looking. we got to keep our eyes up. Behold, he comes. Jesus is returning. John Calvin said, in order that the the joy may succeed our present sorrow, let us learn. This is what we're doing. We're learning to apply our minds to the contemplation of the issue which God promises. Thus, we shall experience that all true believers have a common interest in the prophecy that God not only will wipe away tears from their eyes, but that he also will diffuse inconceivable joy through their hearts. Friends, there's no other place you're going to find that than in Jesus. So let's keep these traditions. Let's let's keep these, these teachings that remind us of what we have in Jesus. We need to do that to recall how God has restored our fortunes, to recall those moments when we've experienced God's fullness, to recall the great things that God has done because there will be moments, much like what we've experienced the last several months, where, where grief will be real and pain will be acute. And yet, our God will respond to our asking. God delights in listening and responding to our prayers. Sometimes suddenly, but most often slowly, through the seeds of weeping that produce a harvest of joy. Friends, let's remember what God has done. And let's joyfully sing of his faithfulness together. Let's sing.
first time. He'll come again. And so as you go, go in grace. Go in peace. Go with the love of Christ ringing in your ears and the joy that only he provides. Singing songs in your heart. (laughs) And remember, it's our great privilege to gather and even our responsibility to represent Jesus to a world that needs to know they can find hope in him too. God bless you, friends. Can't wait to see you back next week for Christmas Eve. Have a great week. God bless.